Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Suddenly, a noise came from the kitchen, like someone was jumping against the door. The dog started going crazy again and ran to the kitchen. I went after them. The door kept jittering and moving. Someone was trying to get in. I look into the rearview mirror as I'm putting the car into drive, and he's now within 50, 60 feet of the car. Same blank look, but staring at the car with the axe still in hand. It looked like the Grim Reaper, the angel of death almost. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. This episode is sponsored by Wondery's Generation Y podcast, where hosts Justin and Aaron dig deep for answers on crime and unsolved murder cases, breaking down theories, looking at forensic evidence, and discuss their opinions on the most perplexing cases. Listen to Wondery's The Generation Y podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you five true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that will chill you to the bone. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with an email submission from Eric, featuring voice work by Tom Aglio, and we get lured by the phantom cabbie. This happened back in 2010 when I was 21. My best friend and I had blown off any sort of responsibility for a whole summer and chose to just party instead. It's probably no surprise that by the end of the summer, we were both evicted. We were roommates. And now condemned to our parents' houses until we got our shit together again. One night, we were at my mom's place playing Left 4 Dead until about 2 a.m. when Cam decided to call a cab and head back to his mom's place. He had to use my phone to call the cab company because he forgot to pay his bill. Yes, I know, we were real winners at this point in our lives. This was also the days before Uber and Lyft, so you'd have to call the station and they'd call for a car over their CB thing. About 15 minutes later, we could see the cab waiting outside and he got in and left. 10 minutes later, I got a call on my cell phone from the cab company. I knew the number by heart, so I knew it was coming from the central station. When I answered, there was a woman on the line whose voice immediately sent shivers throughout my body. This is Badger Cab calling for Cameron. His cab has arrived. I was confused and responded with something like, "Uh Uh-huh, she said. Tell Cameron to come outside. The voice was echoey and distant, like it was an auditory house of mirrors bouncing around a fog-drenched void. I wasn't sure why the voice was creeping me out so much, so I tried pushing it aside and just told her that he already left like 10 minutes ago. 
I glanced out the window and saw a car idling outside on the street. It was parked a bit to the right of my house, so all I could see were the brake lights. I figured dispatch probably sent an extra cabbie on accident. I told her I was sorry, but there must have been a mix-up because he already left. But the woman responded almost like she didn't hear me the first time. Tell him to come outside, she repeated, but this time with a rigid bite in her tone. He was already picked up, I repeated. There were a few weird noises for a second, like wind was blowing into the microphone. Then the call dropped. I redialed the number to the cab company and a man answered. I told him what had just happened, leaving out the creepiness of the voice, and let him know that they must have sent two cabs on accident. I don't have any female cab drivers out tonight, the dispatcher told me. I thought to myself, maybe it was a guy with a high-pitched voice? He told me that the driver picked up my friend just fine a while ago, and that a cab driver wouldn't call through their landline like that anyways. When I told him there was a car idling outside and reiterated that there was 100% a woman calling telling my friend to come outside and get in her car, he started getting very creeped out and worried. We both figured that someone had to have spoofed the cab company's number. It's pretty easy to do, but that didn't leave us with any comfort. Why was someone spoofing a cab company's phone number and waiting outside their customer's pickup location? How did she even know that Cameron had called for a cab? I hadn't talked to anyone and Cam didn't have a phone. The dispatcher radioed his driver and made sure he had Cameron and that everything was fine. Then let me know he was safe and almost to his destination. The dispatcher and I talked on the phone for a couple of minutes brainstorming what the fuck could possibly be happening. From his perspective, it's almost like someone is following and trying to lure a customer into their car, which is probably not good for business. After Cam made it to his mom's crib, he called me on the landline there to ask what was going on. The only logical explanation he could think of was that it was this stalker he's been dealing with for several years. He had a restraining order on her because she would follow him, break into his apartment, and wait for him to come home. And would do all sorts of weird, creepy shit like that. I'm not totally convinced that's what was happening, though. How would she have known he had just called for a cab on my phone? How would she have known where my mom lives? If he were leaving my actual place or the place of one of our close friends, then that would be plausible. But we were pretty tucked away on the outskirts of town in a suburb. And my mom has a different last name than I do, so she couldn't have Googled it. But it's the most logical explanation either of us could come up with, so it's the one I'm betting on until someone throws out a better theory. Whoever was waiting in that car, however, let's not meet, because I'm guessing she's a very disturbed person. Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystoryatdisturbedpodcast.com. Up next, we check in with an anonymous Reddit user featuring voice work by Tanya E.B. And we have an extra resident on our property. A few years ago, I moved to a relatively remote part of my town with my boyfriend. We owned a small section of the land behind our home, which consisted of the woods, a creek, and general shrubbery. I'd take my dogs out there every day for walks. And one day, came across what looked like a campsite where a homeless person would live. There was a basket full of sticks, and what I assumed was being used for firewood, a mattress, blankets, and tarps. It looked relatively kept, so I assumed someone must be actively staying there. I went off in a different direction and decided to stay away from that area. I had told my boyfriend about what I came across that day, and we were trying to figure out what we should do to eventually remove this person, as this was our land and we didn't feel comfortable having someone camping out so close to our home. We sort of forgot about it for a few months, until one day I was walking past the area again with the dogs 
and curiosity got the best of me, so I went to have a snoop. Once again, I found the same layout, though much more unkept. There were some leftover food items and the remainder of a fire. I quickly left. The same night as I was waiting on my boyfriend to get home, I was in the kitchen cooking and facing the window that looked out towards the woods. I thought I had seen someone standing next to a tree, but it was so dark and I have horrible eyesight, so I didn't try to overthink it. But then I actually started thinking our home and property was fenced and that little campsite I saw again today, I freaked myself out. Could it be the person that was staying there? I knew someone probably was, but I didn't think they'd want to show themselves, if that makes sense. I carried on cooking and thinking on it, hyping myself up in a bad way. I kept looking around but couldn't see anyone, so I hoped it was just anxiety and my overthinking. And then there was a knock at the back door. We had a curtain covering the window on the back door, so I couldn't see who was knocking, and I wouldn't be able to see from the window where I was standing either. I went to the door and moved the curtain. No one was there. The dogs had started barking at that point, which if you have dogs, you know that when you feel anxious, them barking can freak you out even more. I had my Alexa playing music and turned her off to be able to hear better. The dogs were barking in the front room at the windows, but I couldn't see anything. I shut the curtains fully then and calmed the dogs down, but I was feeling very, very uneasy. Suddenly, a noise came from the kitchen, like someone was jumping against the door. The dogs started going crazy again and ran to the kitchen. I went after them. The door kept jittering and moving. Someone was trying to get in. The pole that was keeping up the curtain fell, and I saw a man wearing what looked like a white face mask or some sort of cover to conceal his face. He kept pushing on the door, and I was hyperventilating at that point. If I left out of the front door, he could run and get to me in seconds. So I left the dogs downstairs and ran upstairs, locking myself in the bathroom. I felt so scared. I was scared for my dogs. I called the police as I could hear the back door keep being hit and the dogs barking so loudly. I remember how I haven't even been able to tell the police my address before the noises stopped and I could just hear the barking, but no more bashing sounds. I was momentarily convinced he had gotten in, but surely I'd be able to hear some sort of struggle as my dogs were two large German shepherds. Yet there was nothing I could hear. The police did arrive very soon. My back door was still intact. I spoke to them through the bathroom window as I was scared to come down before they assessed the house from outside. And I had to calm the dogs down before I let the police in, as the dogs were very riled up then. I told the police about the homeless person who lived in the woods. They had a look in the area and couldn't seem to find anyone or anything suspicious. That was until a few weeks later, when myself and my partner, along with the dogs, walked down to that campsite again to see if it had been abandoned or not, on the slim chance that they did have something to do with the break-in. And we found a white mask that I spoke about before. Oh, I couldn't tell what it was. It was hanging on the tree. Glove and boots were hidden in a bag which we found by the creek, soaking wet. Apparently all this wasn't there when the police went down there that night though the campsite, for the first time, definitely looked abandoned. We sent pictures to the police, who came down again soon after. But even though they had all this evidence, safe to say nothing was ever done about it, most likely as there was no successful break-in. We got everything removed from the campsite and taken away in a skip. 
Who knows what would have happened if the back door gave in? I still worry thinking about it. It's left me with a lot more unresolved anxiety than I already had. Can't get enough Disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, shout-outs, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Ben94GT, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. And we encounter the Axeman... This occurred to me and my then-girlfriend in the summer of 2004, but I need to provide a little context first, so that'll be the first bit. My hometown was decimated by flooding from Hurricane Floyd in 1999, and part of the response and recovery efforts involved FEMA setting up RVs as temporary housing for those whose homes were either destroyed or heavily damaged. These RVs were set up in a previously vacant field outside of town, and the park was dismantled in 2001 or so. They put up fencing around the perimeter and trenched over the streets into the area to keep people out. But they forgot one entrance or left it purposely open for emergency vehicles to have access. Well, some friends of mine had found this entrance and we frequently used the area as our playground. We would go back there to set up fireworks, turn the streets into a race course, and to have sex with our girlfriends. To set the stage of how this place looks, um, there were three streets running east-west orientation A street went around the other streets in an oval fashion. The grass was very overgrown and about four feet high. The east side had large dirt berms that were about 20 feet high and had been placed there when the site was graded in 1999. They normally provided a climbing challenge for our SUVs. This particular day, my girlfriend and I were parked on one of the east-west streets amongst the tall grass to remain hidden. We got undressed to have sex in the back seat of the car. As we begin to have sex, I notice movement in the corner of my eye. Turn to look, and there is a man coming over the 20-foot high berm. He's wearing denim overalls, and in his left hand is a full-sized axe. Oh, we have a fear washed over me, and I yelled out, Oh my god! My girlfriend pops up to look out the back window, and she let out a scream and a, What are we gonna do? So I frantically start looking for the car keys. They're in a pile of clothes on the floorboard, and I can't find them. I look at the back window and he's getting closer. I can see his face now and it's emotionless with this blank stare. I I start grabbing clothes and shaking them to hopefully find the keys. Finally, they pop loose and fall to the floor. I grab them and immediately jump into the driver's seat, still completely naked. I start the car. From the back seat, my still-naked girlfriend screams, Go! I look into the rearview mirror as I'm putting the car into drive and he's now within 50-60 feet of the car. Same blank look, but staring at the car with the axe still in hand. I didn't even fasten my seatbelt, and I'm still fully nude as I floored the gas, kicking up rocks everywhere as the tires spun and I fled away from this man holding an axe. We got to the abandoned FEMA park as quickly as I could drive the car without crashing. My girlfriend was hysterical the whole time, until we got back to the main road and were safe. We stopped to the side about a mile up the road to put our clothes back on and de-stress. I don't know where this man came from, 
as there are no other houses within a mile or so of the old FEMA site. He seemingly came out of nowhere. I also did not see any other cars at the site as I had done a lap around the park before we chose our spot to park. I'm not sure what his intentions were, as he never said anything to us and I know he saw us panicking in the car. But whatever his intentions were, I know they weren't good. The look on his face and the axe in his hand made that abundantly clear. I went back with a few friends sometime later and found no place where this guy could have been lurking and there were no signs anyone had been camping there. To this day, it's still one of the scariest events I've ever been through. Whoever the axe man was and whatever he was planning, let's not meet. Are you terrified yet? You will be. Disturbed is brought to you by the Generation Y podcast, one of my current go-to listens in my playlist. Justin and Aaron do such a great job with this show, and it's one of those podcasts where I'll find myself binging several episodes in a row because I just can't stop. They visit cases of crime and unsolved murders and present the episodes in a way that really breaks down everything and lays it out in an easy-to-follow format. What I really appreciate is the extreme attention to detail for each case. They leave no stone unturned in examining the evidence and bringing their own thoughts and perspectives that will make you think about things in a new way. In a recent episode, Aaron and Justin look into the case of funeral owner Dan O'Connell and his intern James Ellison, who were both found shot to death in Dan's office, but the murder went unsolved. Years later, detectives interviewed a Catholic priest, Father Ryan Erickson, for a separate case. But in the process, he revealed information only the killer and detectives knew about the double murder. Then, Father Ryan hanged himself. And with their only suspect now deceased, police and the community grappled with the questions remaining. Did a Catholic priest kill two men? And if so, why? For me, Generation Y is a go-to listen because of the attention to detail and variety of cases they cover. Justin and Aaron do the victims justice in their approach to the show and that's something that can get lost on many other podcasts. Listen to Wondery's The Generation Y Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three-times-a-week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested. 
through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Now back to the horror. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Now, let's hear from one of our listeners straight off the hotline at disturbedpodcast.com slash hotline, free and available to all listeners. So, Sierra, let's hear it. This happened to me and my friends in about 2014. As your typical 21-year-old on a Friday night, me and my friends were trying to find something to do. So, everyone got on their phone, and we found this place called Hell House Woods in uh, Baltimore County, Maryland. It was about a 45-minute drive. So all five of us got in our car, and once we got there, we parked about a mile down the road, and we had to walk over this big train track. And then we were met with these flight of steps. It was probably about 100 steps, easy. As we walked up, everyone had their flashlights on on their phones because we didn't have a flashlight at the time. While we were in a mile into the woods, we were trying to find this big abandoned cross that we read online that back in the day, there was a Catholic school for the nuns, and apparently some of the nuns were hung back in the 1800s. And apparently this place was big on sacrifices too, like rituals and stuff. So while we were walking, I noticed a light in the woods about 50 feet in front of us because I was the first one in front of everyone. So I told everyone to turn their lights off. And what do you know, the other light goes off too. So stupidly, one of my friends shouts hello. And it was quiet for about 10 seconds. And we hear this really loud scream and then like a lot of footsteps running towards us. So all my friends start running and we're trying to find a way out of this point. We're already about two miles into the woods. Thankfully, we did end up finding it. And of course, this wouldn't be a scary story if someone didn't get hurt too. One of my friends fell and twisted their ankle. So my two other buddies picked them up and we all ran as fast as we can to get out of there. We did eventually make it back to the car. We all got in and got the fuck out of there. This last part still gives me the chills. So while we got into our car and we were riding out, by the big steps, one of my friends has her flashlights hanging out the window. And we see three big ass people just standing at the bottom of the steps. So I floored it out of there at this point. Nobody even said a word on the ride home. And I think we were all in shock. And I never want to be back there. And whatever goes into the woods, I'm not trying to find out anymore. Up next, we hear from an anonymous Reddit user, featuring voice work by John Patnode, and we experience something from beyond this reality. Just a heads up, this is my own personal experience, and I do not claim to have any universal answers or truths. I just thought I'd share some of my glitchy story with you all. I think I should attempt to define what an ultra-terrestrial is in theory, since many people might not have heard the term multi-dimensional entity. Similar to the idea of an eternal soul, not bound to space and time or to the physical plane which humans currently inhabit. The extent of ultra-terrestrial behaviors and motives are unknown, but they are likely diverse just as any other intelligent life forms are, so they do not function as a perfect collective. 
The first time I believe I encountered an ultra-terrestrial was in 2013 when I was extremely sick. I was at home and dealing with a very serious disease that kills 30% of its hosts. At the height of my sickness, I thought for sure I was going to die and was struggling to come to terms with it. I was in bed, sweating, finding it difficult to breathe and had shooting pains throughout my entire body. My heartbeat felt completely off, going from pounding to fluttering to skipping beats at random times. I was terrified of death. It was at this point that I witnessed, or hallucinated, a dark, shadowy figure step out of my closet. It looked like the Grim Reaper, the Angel of Death almost. I pleaded, please don't let me die. I have more to accomplish here. I I'm not ready to go yet. The shadowy figure slowly backed away into the closet and I uncomfortably began to drift off to sleep. As I fell asleep, I remember thinking, I want to talk to a god. I need answers. The next thing I remember is I had the most incredibly vivid dream, which at the time didn't seem like a dream at all. It seemed like I had been transported somewhere because I was completely lucid and fully aware. I was in an infinite space that was the color tan. All around me was tan, like the color of sand. There is a gigantic woman floating in front of me, and I was about the size of one of her fingers. She's just floating there, amazingly beautiful. She had a flowing dress and dark reddish hair. The first thing I said was, am I going to die? What happens when we die? She responded, death is a construct. Death does not exist. It is a made-up human concept. At this point, you're probably thinking, this guy is obviously sick and hallucinating, so this can't be an ultra-terrestrial encounter. And that's a perfectly reasonable thought. I don't claim that this encounter was definitely real. How could I? But at the time, it felt very real. And it felt like I was talking to a very real entity. It didn't feel like a dream or a scene that was created by my mind. This woman, or entity, continued to tell me that I have lived thousands of lives. And she even showed me my first-person point-of-view experiences that I had as different animals and people. We talked and talked for what felt like days almost, and she explained to me how reincarnation works. Keep in mind, at the time, I was not spiritual or versed in the idea of reincarnation at all. This was a completely foreign concept to me at the time. And if you had asked me in 2013 if I believed in this stuff, I would have said heck no. She said that each of our physical lives is double the length and time of the life we had previously. But that time is not as we would think of it on Earth, but another form of universal time. So the length of time you spend in your current life may be shorter in years than your past life, but that doesn't mean it's shorter in this universal form of time. She explained that because I'm a human currently, I won't be able to understand most of these concepts, but that she had presented herself in a human form to explain these details to me. When I woke up the next morning, I felt completely weak. My heart was beating very faintly, but steadily. I literally felt like I had died and been reborn. When I moved my body, it felt like it had been days since I last used it, but the fear of death I had was completely gone. I would compare my headspace to what you might feel like after a psychedelic trip. 
All of my negative feelings were completely gone, and I felt so grateful to be alive. At that point, I made a promise to the universe that I would not waste this precious time I had on Earth, and I wouldn't live my existence in fear. Long story short, this interaction with this entity changed my reality in a great way. I've become so much more positive and open to all types of ideas. I truly feel as though I was given a gift. Since 2013, I often witness what I believe are other entities in my bedroom, but they're not malicious at all. It's almost like they're helping me, sending me information or something. And I know that sounds batshit crazy, but I can literally see them and feel them when I wake up sometimes. I would say at least six, seven times a month, I will wake up in my bed and I'll see an ultra-terrestrial hanging out in my room. They look really interesting, like abstract shapes. They're never in any animal or human form. The reason I believe they are ultra-terrestrials and not hallucinations is how they seem to react to me waking up. I will see them, and they immediately start to change forms and usually exit through the wall or sometimes they'll fly right out the window. There may be good ultra-terrestrials, and there may be bad ones. But to make a distinction may be extremely difficult because they are so incredibly advanced in their evolution, and they fully understand that death itself is an illusion, my belief. We as humans are maybe not fully capable of seeing this limitless, multi-dimensional reality as it exists, and are much more tuned into morality-based fear and the biological survival mechanisms of our animal forms. What we see as bad is largely based on our idea that death is very real and very much the end, which is not true in my opinion. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Mycology Queen, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin. And we become a target of an infamous rapist. And a trigger warning this story has mention of sexual assault. My mom was one of the intended victims of the pillowcase rapist in Florida. This man had literally terrorized South Florida during the 80s and is thought to have raped at least 45 women by knife point. One woman was attacked shortly after Christmas. She screamed when she saw an intruder with what appeared to be an ice pick break into her house. He quickly put his hand over her mouth and knocked her to the floor. He stabbed her in the abdomen before telling her if she screamed again he would kill her. He led her into a bedroom and pushed her onto the bed. He initially covered her face with a blanket and then a pillow as he raped her. At one point, she told him she couldn't breathe, and he told her to shut up. Shortly after, he disappeared and she called the police. A rape kit was done, but police weren't sure who the culprit was. They had chased down thousands of leads and distributed over a million flyers trying to track him down after this, and many other attacks were reported. They even made a clay bust of him at one point. He had been stalking my mom for God knows how long. After the incident, I remember hearing the police had found porn magazines tossed in the garbage can alongside our fence, and footprints from there, over the fence and down toward the road. The night he planned on committing his attack didn't go as planned, 
Unbeknownst to him, my mom and I took a last-minute greyhound to Michigan to visit my grandparents. When he broke into the duplex we lived in and didn't find us there, he decided to visit the neighboring duplex instead. Janet lived there. She and her husband, Freddie, were friends of my mom and dad's, and I played with their daughter, Amy. What the rapist didn't know is that Janet knew judo. I don't recall how he got in, but presumably like he had with our apartment, by breaking into the place via a window above our couch. He left his muddy footprints as a souvenir. They called him the pillowcase rapist because he would cloak the victim's heads in a pillowcase or other fabric. Alternatively, he would sometimes just put it on himself to elude discovery of his identity, which is what he did in this case. Because Janet knew judo, however, she was able to unmask him and avoid being raped. The man took off and she immediately called her husband, Freddy. Freddy and my dad happened to be at a local bar that they frequently stopped at after a hard day's work. As soon as they heard what happened, they tore off down to our place and Janet called the police. Police just beat them there long enough to put up the crime scene tape and find those magazines. They found other evidence, too. The broken window footprints, showing he had intended the victim to be my mom and that Janet was just a crime of opportunity. It gives me chills to think that he knew I would be with her and what his plan was for that terrified me. To my knowledge, all the others were completely alone. I was only five at the time. The police were hopeful, though, that they could put an end to this because it was the first time anyone had seen this man's actual face thanks to Janet. They were able to make a composite sketch, and it was all over the news. Surely someone would recognize him. But as time went on and leads didn't pan out, the hope of catching him dwindled further with every year and then every decade. It's a story my mom, dad, and I would revisit from time to time, and once in a while we would look online to see if anything had ever come of it. Each time the answer would be no until last year. I was watching the news as I always do, especially at that time, early 2020, as news of the virus was coming out. We live in Michigan now, so the last thing I ever expected to see was a story involving the pillowcase rapist and that he had finally been caught. I was floored. After all this time, he was finally caught because his son was arrested for domestic assault and had to submit DNA. The investigators got a partial match to the pillowcase rapist and were able to deduce the actual rapist must have a familial link. They located the suspect, Robert Eugene Kohler, and followed him. They were eventually able to gather several items he had touched so they could obtain his DNA. Lo and behold, it was a match. Thank God they actually captured this man when they did. Sadly, he was already on the sex offender registry from an incident in the 90s. This was prior to DNA being taken in cases like that. When they arrested him, they found several safes worth of treasures he had taken from his victims, like necklaces, panties, and a nail file. He was in the midst of building a dungeon underneath his house that was partially completed. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. 
Submit your own experience to the show in writing or through our hotline, all at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters. Heather Munson, AJK, Jeremiah Wiggins, Karen Brain, Amanda Morse, and Alexandria Keene. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases, and you can too. Patreon.com slash Disturbed Podcast. Music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.